You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Amen. I like that truth. Uh, Sometimes I think maybe we underestimate the importance of the immutability of God. Um, can you imagine if God wasn't a, a sure thing? If, if you never knew what mood he was going to be in or how he'd respond the next time something happened. Um, the fact that he's immutable, it applies to everything about him. And it, it's one of the most important things about God, that he never changes. And I'm thankful for that truth. We don't hear a lot of songs about that, but I'm, sure, I'm certainly grateful um, for that, that song tonight. Uh, book, we're going to be in the book of James this evening, and the book of James chapter 4, and uh, we've moved on from chapter 3. We were in chapter 3 for a few weeks. It's been a few weeks since we were in the book of James because of the holidays, but you know, the last time we were in James about a month ago, and we were talking about uh, the, the difference between false wisdom and genuine godly wisdom, and how false wisdom starts in the heart, and it reveals itself through bitterness and strife. If you are operating by false wisdom, if false wisdom is earthly, sensual, it's devilish, it leads to chaos, that's the end of earthly false wisdom. And as a, as a contrast, godly wisdom starts in a pure heart and it results in fruit of righteousness and peace. That's what James chapter 3 says. So you can tell what wisdom somebody operates by based on their spirit and their words. If there's a spirit of chaos and tension and conflict, then you know that somebody's operating with earthly wisdom. But if there's a sense of peace and calm, that is godly wisdom. And and I just want to contrast that again because um, you can choose your ending based on what wisdom you live by. And it's very similar to what we heard this morning that some people think that life just carries you along and whatever happens in life just happens to you, but that's not the case. You have an active role. You get to choose your ending based on what wisdom you live by. If you live by God's wisdom, you'll have an ending of peace. If you choose uh, earthly false wisdom, you will have chaos. And so that's the message at the end of chapter 3 in James. And we come to chapter 4, but I want you to pay no attention to the chapter break. Because sometimes, you know, just so you know, and you probably know this, but the chapter breaks in the Bible are not inspired. Uh, they would try to put a chapter break in where they thought uh, there was a thought unit being, being broken up or a new thought unit was starting. But sometimes I think, man, why did they put that chapter break there? Because this is one of those cases where the thought from chapter 3 carries right into chapter 4. And that wisdom from above looks one way. Wisdom from below looks completely different. And James's readers were clearly having a problem living with wisdom from above. And I know that, we know that, because their interactions with each other were full of unrest and chaos and conflict. And they had a big problem getting along. And in a church setting, I'm assuming this is to a church... Uh, because they had interactions with each other. It was too uh, general. It was a general letter to Jewish readers, but they obviously were together in some fashion because they were struggling to get along. 
And that's the idea I want to look at tonight. So let's stand as we read James chapter 4. We'll read just the first five, verses, five or six verses here. And, uh, and then just focus really on this first part of the chapter. And in many ways, this is one message that will kind of carry on over the next uh, few Sunday nights, Lord willing. James chapter 4, verse 1, it says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts, that war in your members? Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. And this is, it gets really heavy here. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do ye think that the, scriptures, the scripture saith in vain... The spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. And then he goes on, submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will free from you. Some great verses. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts. Ye double-minded, he goes on, be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. Speak not evil of one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgeth another? And he goes on. We're going to stop our reading there. And really this whole unit was just too much to tackle in one message tonight. So I'm going to give you really the first five verses will be our focus tonight. And I'm calling it this evening uh, Christian warfare. Christian warfare. You know, I, I do love the book of James. It's so practical. It's, it's measurable very often. You know, sometimes you hear a truth and you're not really sure how to know if you've applied it. What I love about James is it's very measurable. You can, you, you can look at what you're doing and measure it and it's helpful. But isn't it true that often the things that are most helpful are also the most painful? Yeah. I don't know if you've experienced that. It's kind of like exercise and maybe you're on, on the, uh, this end of a New Year's resolution and, and you thought you were excited at first but you're not quite as excited now. It's a little bit like exercise or it's a little bit like going to the dentist. Um, it's a little bit like shoveling snow. Okay, that's on my mind. You don't want to do it but you know you need to do it. See, sometimes James can feel like a spiritual root canal. And you, when there's a root problem, you are better off dealing with it than ignoring it. Because it's not just going to go away. It's no fun, but it's necessary. And that's the idea I want to look at tonight with Christian warfare. And really in some ways today, man, I, I was excited about the truth. But in some ways not excited about the truths. This morning I'm talking about unbridled lust. Tonight I'm talking about fighting among God's people. Boy, that's an exciting day, isn't it? 
Sometimes these things just line up and you deal with them and they may not be fun, but they're necessary. And I hope that you will be willing to have an open ear and heart tonight to this truth about Christian warfare. Let's pray and ask God to help us. Father, we love you and uh, we are desperately in need of your spirit to work among, among us. We need your spirit to illuminate the word tonight and speak to our hearts through it. We pray that you would help us to be submissive to everything you ask of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. It was May 1st, 1992. Uh, a video feature, featuring Rodney King had been released and um, he, he was being beaten by some Los Angeles police officers. Maybe you remember this instance. If you were alive, it was hard not to miss it. It was hard to miss it, I should say. And um, we didn't see the entire interaction, but the video that got released um, was of these police officers, four of them in particular, um, just really beating Rodney King to, uh, you know, to, to help him to submit to them, I think is what they were doing. We didn't see the beginning, and we don't know all of that. Sometimes you see the tail end of a clip, and you don't really get the whole story. Uh, but, but in general, especially in that part of the country, many of the people that saw that video responded with anger. You know, it looks like these four officers are beating this guy that's on the ground. And, and, and so they went to trial. And when the four officers were acquitted, then the anger boiled over. And you'll remember probably I was in uh, either junior high or high school. And, and I remember the anger boiling over there in Los Angeles. And, and riots began and buildings were burned down. It went on for days and days. Stores were looted. Um, thousands of people were injured. Um, I read today that more than 60 people were killed in that time frame during the riots. I mean, it was just a, a nightmare. It was just a mess. And at the peak of all the rioting, um, I'll never forget Rodney King, the man that was featured in the video at the very beginning, standing in front of a camera, uttering a phrase that kind of became part of the culture. Do you remember what he said? Anybody remember? Can't we all get along? And that phrase kind of became part of the culture and it became something a lot of people said. The violence got so bad though that Rodney King, who was the man who originally was uh, in the video, he was pleading with the people of his own community to stop the madness and just get along. Can't we all get along, he said. And, and unfortunately, I think most of us know the answer is usually no, we can't. I mean, it's gotten worse and worse and it, since then. I mean, with divisive politics and, and riots are more common and looting and destruction. I mean, just read the headlines. It's depressing. Uh, you know, fightings and wars seem to be a human pastime. I read that last year, 2021, over $2 trillion uh, were, was spent on, or on a war in that one calendar year, 2021. And we're so used to conflict on, on this planet right now and, and, and yet the most violent things that are happening probably right now are happening in Ukraine but we're so used to it that that hardly makes headlines anymore. I mean, we've almost forgotten. I mean, when, when, the, when Russia invaded at first, I mean, men's prayer meeting, we're asking prayer for Ukraine every week and it's on our minds and, and uh, Jace and I, we pray every week and most of the time we pray with Antoine on Sunday mornings and 
And, uh, and Jace almost every week says, um, you know, God, I know um, that we've kind of forgotten about it, um, but Ukraine is still happening. And will you protect the people of Ukraine? I mean, it's still on his mind, but on my mind, I'm not thinking about it as much anymore. It's hardly making headlines. War is just part of life. And, and new conflicts pop up everywhere. I mean, someday World War III is going to happen. And and yet we don't really think about it very much right here in America. But it's not just war. It's not just country to country. It's also individual. You know, conflicts uh, in line at the store happen. I've seen that take place. I mean, I, one time I was whistling in line at the store. And I had somebody turn around and scream at me. Because they were thought I was whistling out of impatience. I was whistling out of the joy of the Lord. I was happy. Until they said that. So, you know, people drive angry all the time. I mean, road rage is just all the time. And I mean, honestly, I feel it too. If somebody else runs a red light in, right in front of me, I might just go crazy. I mean, have you noticed this epidemic in Sioux Falls? People don't care if the light's red. They're going to go because they don't want to wait. And, you know, there's, it's incredible how quick people are to snap at the smallest thing. If you work in any kind of service industry, you probably know how angry our culture is. It's happening in homes, too. I mean, domestic violence is, is an epidemic. Some homes are more defined by conflict than peace. I mean, I just read this week, you know, one of, uh, the coach for University of Texas, Chris Beard, the basketball coach, just got fired from his job because of a domestic violence problem. Uh, between him and his wife just recently that's a high profile um, position at one of the better basketball programs right now and and yet they had to fire their coach because of it you know it, it, there are some homes are are full of conflict and peace is not part of the home and if you've ever been on the bus ministry if you've ever picked up bus kids then you know the kind of homes that many of those children come to church from you've seen those homes in disarrays in disarray, and it's not just families. It's it, conflict also defines many church families. I was reading just recently about how a denomination in Canada got started. It broke off from the uh, from the a Methodist uh, the Methodist denomination in the late 1800s. There was a pastor by the last name of Horner, Mr. Horner, and he was enthusiastically preaching one time. And while he was doing something like this, his tie got wrapped around his arm like this, you know, while he's preaching. So he just pulled his tie off and he said, the devil's trying to bind me. And so we won't, there's no more ties allowed in our services because the devil's trying to use it to bind my preaching. Man, we might, there are probably guys in here that'd be like, amen. No more ties allowed? Thank you. Yeah, I mean, so, but he started that and, and it became a part of their teaching that Christians should never wear ties because they represent bondage in the Christian life. And today there is a group in Canada called the Hornerites and there's not a tie found among them. And many of us might actually agree with that, but that stand caused quite a stir. I mean, it caused a fight in that denomination in that day and ties became a fight. And it's just, I mean, it's just further proof that we can turn anything into a fight. 
We can, we can turn anything into a cause for division. And sometimes, you know, I think back to the early church, the early churches even right here in the scripture. And sometimes I think we have an idealistic view of what the early churches were like. We think, well, you know, they were so close to Christ and, and, and it wasn't far removed. And they were, that's pure religion. We think, well, they were so close that they must have had spirit-filled services and unified fellowship and no problems at all. Not so fast. Here's a secret that not many people know, only the Bible scholars really have recently discovered this, but, but the early churches were made up of people. Therefore, there was lots of conflict. I mean, you read Paul's letter to the Corinthians if you wonder about it. Uh, you read the book of, of, of at the church at Philippi, the book of Philippians, there were two ladies that just couldn't get along Euodius and Sintichi and their names are forever memorialized in the Bible because of it. I mean, I would assume they're probably in heaven, but I mean, that's kind of like, man, I mean, they kind of hang their head. I mean, people are reading Philippians, maybe. I don't know. I mean, their names forever are a conflict. Uh, you read the, the book of uh, the church, Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. He had to talk about unity and love uh, between its members. And the only reason he would have to do that is because he had heard that there was not unity in love. Uh, Paul and Barnabas, they had such an egregious um, dis, uh, uh, disagreement uh, that they had to part ways because of their, their view. I mean, Barnabas wanted to take John Mark. Paul said, he's a quitter. We don't want to take him with us. They, they fought about it. I don't know if they fought about it, but they were disagreed so strongly that they parted ways. Maybe the best summation of all is found in Galatians 5.15. And Paul wrote this, but if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. And what Paul was saying is, if you bite at each other, you will consume each other. What he's saying is this, when Christians fight, no one wins. When Christians fight, everybody loses. Fighting Christians, you could say it this way, fighting Christians are losers. And I don't mean that in a trite way. I mean it in a true way. When Christians fight, even the person that wins loses. Everybody loses. And Paul said that those that were biting and devouring one another will end up consuming one another. In other words, one person doesn't win and eat the other one. They both devour each other. Everybody loses. So James begins chapter 4 asking a question about the fighting. Now he's obviously heard that they were fighting. He's obviously heard they weren't getting along and there's just conflict. So he asks the question, where's the fighting coming from? And it's a good question because he doesn't just say stop fighting. No, he says let's get to the root of the problem. See, our answer to a question like that is, if you've ever asked your children, okay, who started the fight? Have you ever had one of your kids say, I did? No. I mean, it, no. When, when you ask who started the fight, it's always, well, he started it. And then that person's pointing right back at them. And if you've got multiple children, I mean, can you imagine all the finger pointing in, in Brother Jeremy's house? I mean, I don't have enough hands to say, to point at who started the fight. I mean, we have five and it's like that, you know, and there's just so much discord and fighting even among siblings and it's never anybody's fault. It's always somebody out there. It's always somebody external. Um, and husbands, well, you know, it's always the wife's fault. 
Wives, it's always the husband's fault. No amens. Okay, so it's always the kids that led me to this. There we go. I said, and there's an amen there. It's always the kids that led to this conflict. It's always annoying people around me. It's always co-workers. It's always um, the other church members. It's always the neighbor's fault. It's always the other driver's fault. It's the customer's fault. Uh, young people, it's that kid in the youth group's fault. No amens? Okay. I gave you a chance. It's always somebody else's fault. That's how we're wired. We don't want to take responsibility. We want to point fingers. But James disputes that notion. And if we're honest, we would dispute that notion too. It's not somebody else's fault. We fight because we want to fight. We fight because it's in our nature. If you don't believe it, watch babies interact in the nursery with toys. I mean, Adam and Eve, from the very, right after they sinned, what were they doing? They were blaming each other. Cain and Abel, I mean, the, the third and fourth person that ever lived fought so badly that Cain killed Abel. That's, that's wired in us. We are fighters. It's, and unfortunately, it's all still too common among the people of God. And so James uses two words here. He says, to describe the church tension, um, the fighting among God's people, he says there's wars and there's fighting. For whence come wars and fightings among you? And wars would imply a corporate battle. This is, this is you know, one of those fights you know, in the schoolyard that's, that's, um, that's between two groups of people and everybody's fighting. But then he says there's also fightings, and those are individual battles. And that's when everyone's in a circle watching just two people go at it. There's a difference in the fighting. Unfortunately, both of them are destructive. Both of them take place far too often. In some churches, it's all-out war. Everyone gets sucked into it. Sometimes it's a battle between individuals. But I'm just telling you this, neither of those things help the cause of Christ. It doesn't matter if it's two people. It doesn't matter if it's 20 people. Uh, in order, there, there is always going to be some destruction of the cause and destruction of unity among God's people, even if it's two of the quietest people that we know back in the corner when con in conflict with each other. Both, both fightings and wars hinder the cause of the gospel and the cause of Jesus Christ. And, and neither of those help Help us do what we're supposed to do. So in order to give some instruction about how to avoid the battles and how to avoid, avoid the fightings, James gives three areas in which the fights most commonly take place. And the first one he talks about is he talks about the war within. There's a war within. And, and he says in verse 1, uh, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? And what he says is these battles uh, are being fought not just with each other. They're being fought within yourselves. You have these lusts in yourselves. The problem is not out there. The problem, James says, is in here. And when he uses the word lusts, it refers to inner desire or passion. And, and the word is hedon, from which we get our word hedonism. And if you know anything about the word hedonism, then you know that a hedonist would say the chief aim of my life is to enjoy pleasure. Eat, drink, and be merry. That is the goal of a hedonist's life. If it feels good, do it. Now, I, I want to say we have to be careful in this because the right pleasure should be the chief aim of life. 
it is possible to have right pleasures and to enjoy the right things. I mean, like the Westminster, Westminster Shorter Catechism said that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. It's okay to enjoy the right things. We, we don't subscribe to the philosophy that says anything enjoyable is wrong. Enjoying God is anything but wrong. I mean, delight thyself and also when the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thy heart, Psalms, Psalm 37 says. Living for the right desires and passions is good. And listen, you ought to enjoy your relationship with God. You ought to enjoy being a child of God. You ought to enjoy the fellowship that comes with God's people. And you ought to enjoy when we sing good songs and have good fellowship. I mean, I was so excited this morning singing, It is well with my soul, because I was thinking of all the times in my life that I felt overwhelmed. And that song reminds me that I'm never alone. And even though the circumstances would say, you've got to be miserable, my walk with God allowed me to still be happy at peace with him. I mean, that's an amazing thought. You ought to enjoy being a Christian. Passion, though, has been called the fire of the heart, and fire can bring warmth. I'm thankful for it, but fire can also burn a house down. Fire in the fireplace is great, but a fire in the attic is terrible. I mean, one time we had a family in our church there in Stillwater, and they had a beautiful farmhouse that they moved from a different place in the area onto their property and it's just this beautiful old farmhouse they restored it and uh, one day we got a call and and somebody said their house is on fire and we went over there and about a hundred people from our church had heard about it and went over there and and we just sat and watched their their house burn down you know just hugged them and held them and and the fire though the issue was the chimney um was older and there was a there was a leak or there was a break in the chimney pipe um, that a, a, a vine had grown into the chimney pipe and pulled it apart and the fire had gotten out of the chimney into the attic or out of the, the stove into the chimney and it set the attic on fire and just they lost their whole house and I you know I was sitting there thinking while I was watching it burn you know we have a wood burning stove in our house there had had one in Stillwater and I was like, man, we love our stove. And when it's, as long as it's in the fireplace, man, it's great. But if that thing ever gets into our attic, it is, it's absolutely devastating. And that's what passion can do. The right passion in the right place is a good thing. But when you have the wrong passions in the wrong place, it burns everything down. And, and that's what James is talking about. That's the lust he mentions is that, you know, we want what we want when we want it and we won't be happy until we get what we want. And there are times in our lives that that's all we think about. I want what I want when I want it. I'm not going to be happy till I get it. And if you get in my way, watch out. Uh, when those lusts, uh, those passions, when those are in the driver's seat, we become miserable because we constantly want uh, more money or a new job or we want a new house or a new spouse or a new relationship and we want, maybe we want our way so much that we become angry and mean and ruthless if anybody gets in our way. And, and what happens is that life becomes a quest to always get what we want. We're driven by our lust. The problem is that none of our lusts will satisfy us like God can. 
And we talked about that this morning, is that if we're driven, we're driven to satisfy our passions and get what we want, but it leads us to go after other people um, because we don't find our satisfaction in God. And we think, I've got to get what they have, or I've got to get what's out there if I'm going to be happy. So we find ourselves running people over to get what we want, even though it never satisfies us on the level that God can. And it causes us to seek this resolution to this to problem of satisfaction by going after other people, but it doesn't help anything. I heard a story about Abraham Lincoln. He was walking down the street with two of his sons, and, and the boys were fighting about something. And, and a man came by Abraham Lincoln and, and said, you know, asked, what's the problem? And he said, well, it's just what's the matter with the whole world. I've got three walnuts, and each boy wants two. Isn't that, the, isn't that life? You know, you, you have a walnut, you, you've got what you need, but you always want something more. And it causes you to go after the people that are around you because you think, I've got to get what they have. And if I don't get what they have, I'm not going to be happy. What, what, what you don't realize is that getting what they have won't make you happy either. You know, let's be honest that very little has changed at all since Lincoln's day. Our, our lust for what we want constantly are whispering in our ear and saying, you deserve more or you aren't being treated fairly. Stop rolling over. Stand up for your rights. Be a strong person. Go get what you want. And that's what's being whispered in our ear at all times. And the war within us, it never goes away. It's at the root of all of our conflicts. And the longer that we let our hearts, um, our, our lusts in our hearts convince us to battle for what we want, then the more fights and wars are going to break out with other people. See, the key to putting an end to the conflict within, in the inner war, um, it, well, well, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, um, but, but we often lose the, the, the inner war. We lose the battle within and it causes us then to take that step. And number two, we go to the war without. So it's a war within. You've got this lust in yourself. And, and you lose that battle. And so you take then the war to the next phase. And now the next phase is a, is a fight with other people. It's a war without. He says, ye lust, in verse two, ye lust and have not, ye kill. And desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. So what he says, I mean, he talks at the beginning about your lust within, but now he's talking about killing. He uses the word kill. It's the word for murder. We, we need to take it seriously because we kill people with our thoughts. We assassinate their character. We go after their motives because we want something that either other, what others have or we want something that others are preventing us from having. And, and we don't want to be in the backseat. Uh, we don't want to be the ones that defer. We want to go and get what we want. And, and Jesus, I mean, listen, Jesus says that hating a brother is, is to commit murder in our hearts. And folks, we say, I would never kill somebody. I would never take somebody's life. But we murder with our words. We kill with rumors. We assassinate with gossip. We murder with insults and lies. And, and we think it'll make us happy. We think it'll give us the satisfaction. But it leaves us with only with more resentment. Because as we look to satisfy our lusts, we find ourselves at odds with others in every situation. And it's not doing anything to fix the problem of the heart. 
someone maybe gets attention or they get credit and for something and it bothers us so that because we're not getting our due. And, and while they get attention and, and, and God blesses them, we sit and we seethe in our pews. Well, we give a compliment to somebody's face, but we aren't as complimentary behind their backs. When somebody fails, we, we, we commiserate with them to their face, but we find ourselves secretly in, within. We find ourselves happy instead of grieved or compassionate. We can't stand it if other, somebody else gets a compliment. We're more inclined to criticize than we are to praise. Listen, these are the symptoms of someone driven by their own lusts. This philosophy leaves us two ways. It leaves us empty. James says, you have not, or you have not, you cannot obtain. It doesn't satisfy. It doesn't give you what you want. It also leaves our prayers ineffective. And when he says in verse 3, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lusts. You have not because you ask not. You know, we're so busy fighting that we don't take time to pray for satisfaction. We'd rather go duke it out. We'd rather go get it with our own hands. When, when James is saying right here, no, listen, satisfaction comes from God alone. And if you were to stop fighting with other people and seek your satisfaction in your relationship with God alone, you'd find yourself fighting a lot less. Even when we do pray, we're dry, lust our, or our desires, it's driving our prayers. And, and we ask God for things with the wrong motives and there's no way he can grant those things. The request could even be a legitimate ask, but the reason is wrong. You know, we think we can satisfy our lusts, our passions by going after other people. That's what James is saying. Rather than trying to seek your satisfaction in a relationship with God, you're seeking to fulfill the, what's empty, what's missing by going after other people. Yeah, it's kind of like when we were, you know, we were youth, I was a youth pastor for a long time. And when we worked with teenagers, we would see this happen all the time. There was, there was one, maybe one person um, who would constantly criticize or, or go after other people in the youth group. And, and we would say, well, you know, the reason they're coming after you is because they're insecure. You know, they, they, they don't. They, they know their own failings and they're trying to find a way to satisfy the failings in their own heart, the emptiness in their own heart by tearing you down, but it doesn't help them at all. It just makes it worse and they think, okay, I've got to do it worse. I've got to go after him more, but it never satisfies. You've seen that before. I mean, it's something that happens in, oh, it's just a human thing that happens and, you know, only God, folks, like Aaron saying this morning, only God can satisfy a soul. Only Jesus can, can fit that, that blank space in our hearts with the exact right form. I mean, he's got the right, the right fitting. He's got the one thing that plugs the hole and fills the gaps. And yet we find that, that we're unsatisfied and we go after other people for it. That's what human wisdom will tell us to do. It says, I can get what I want apart from God. Our prayer lives become ineffective. We no longer lean on God to satisfy us. It, it, God is left out of the process completely. It reminds me of David, King David. You know, King David is a perfect example of this, is that he had uncontrolled lust. 
And that uncontrolled lust caused him to want to get something he didn't have. So he went after Bathsheba. But in going after Bathsheba, now there are consequences. Something, you know, she's going to have a baby. So, you know, rather than fix that with godly wisdom, he says, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. He sends Uriah to the front lines and essentially then becomes guilty of murder to cover up his lust. And, and I know that David committed adultery and David committed murder, but deeper was uncontrolled inner desire that led him to go after other people. I mean, the war that he couldn't solve within led to a war without and caused him to go after somebody else. And it happens in churches all the time. We're not satisfied. We don't have a right walk with God. We're not where we ought to be, so we go after each other. But then there's an even bigger picture, and I think this is probably the root of it all. There's a war within, and there's a war without. But really the biggest problem we have is that we have a war above. Our biggest problem is not with myself or with you. My biggest problem, when I'm fighting and warring, my biggest problem is my problem with God. Look at verse 2 again. You lust and have not, you kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think, do ye think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? I mean, notice our, that our war above, it starts with self-dependence. He says, ye have not because ye ask not. So obviously James's readers were not looking to God to help them. They were trying to take matters into their own hands. So this war above, it starts when we become self-dependent. And that we leave God out of the process of helping us be what we're supposed to be. And I think, well, I can do this on my own. So, but he says, you don't have what you need because you're not even asking God for it. So he says, the war above starts with self-dependence. Then in verse 3, it states, you, have, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. The next part of our war with God, our war above, is that we engage in selfish prayer. And we ask God to get on board and support us and our selfish desires, but, but it's wrongly motivated prayer. So we start because we're self-dependent. And then we start praying selfish prayers. And then he finally says the war above then leads to spiritual adultery. We start by being dependent on ourselves and then we become selfish. And then we find ourselves committing spiritual adultery. He calls them adulterers and adulteresses. And what does he mean by that? Well, to be controlled by lust is spiritual adultery. That's, a, that's not an easy thing to hear. God's, uh, God's relationship, though, with his people has always been compared to the marriage relationship. I mean, look at, read the Old Testament. His relationship with Israel was one of bride, uh, groom and bride. I mean, married to the nation of Israel. He's married to the Jews in the Old Testament. Well, he set, he has set them aside for now, and now New Testament believers are the bride of Christ. 
And, and so if that's our relationship with God, and I want you to get this one because this one is, is the, the significant point in all this. If that's our relationship with God, if I'm part of his bride and he is the, the groom, then it's only right to, for him to expect that we as his bride live according to his wisdom, that, that we are following his rules, that we are submitting to his program, that we are loyal to him. See, when you get married, the expectation is that you come home to your spouse. If you don't, watch out. So when a believer operates according to human wisdom, it's the same as spiritual cheating. Here's the idea. When you engage in a good tongue lashing uh, towards somebody else, you are committing spiritual adultery because you are operating on, on earthly wisdom instead of God's. When you lash out and, and you just kind of let them have it and you let them hear what they need to hear, you are engaging in spiritual adultery because that is not the way that God tells us to operate. And when you, uh, when you speak ill about uh, or toward a fellow church member, you are cheating on Jesus Christ by living according to worldly wisdom. Uh, no, not seeking God or praying about a big decision is spiritual adultery because you've left him out of the process. Operating without seeking godly counsel is unfaithfulness to God. Arguments and backbiting and fightings and wars all fall under the category of spiritual adultery. He said, well, preacher, you sure are being hard about this. Well, James is the one that called us adulterers and adulteresses. And if we're going to be true to the text, we can't skim over the parts that don't make us feel good about it. If we are operating according to earthly wisdom and fighting and warring and biting and devouring one another, then we are committing spiritual adultery. In verse 5, he says, Do ye think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? And what he, what he means is when he says the spirit lusteth, it, he's talking, and this is, a hard, uh, uh, this is hard for commentators, you know, to figure out what it exactly means. It can be a, a bit tough or controversial, but where I've landed as, as I'm just trying to study it myself is what this means is that God is jealous when his people are unfaithful to his wisdom and his ways. I mean, just the spirit, even God himself um, has strong desires. Not in a sinful way, in a righteous way. And his strong desire is that his people are faithful to him. That he is first. That we are loyal and we are committed to him. And the best illustration I read, this is somebody else's idea, but just imagine that two neighbor men hate each other. I mean, it's like Hatfields and McCoys. And they have a long-standing feud and one night, one of the neighbors sneaks into the other neighbor's house and, and takes the life of his neighbor. Kills him right there in his recliner. So he goes to trial, clearly, and everybody knows what happened. Everybody knows this neighbor is guilty. But because of a technicality, the man that was guilty of murder gets off, walks away free. Of course, everybody's outraged because they know that he's guilty. But let's just say that maybe a week later, this man is walking down the street and he's walking hand in hand with the widow of the man 
whose life he took. You say, that is crazy. It's, that's ridiculous. I can't believe that she, would, that she would then accept the man who took her own husband's life. Well, you talk about the height of unfaithfulness. And yet it is a picture, an accurate picture of God's people when rather than saying no to the enemy of God, the people that hate God and his wisdom and his ways, we find ourselves walking hand in hand down the street with the very people that God calls his enemy. And that is exactly what happens with James, in James's letter. That's exactly what he is saying here. It is no different than when we as God's children operate by wisdom that hates God. That we, that we live our lives with ways in ways that God would never tell us to do. I mean, the world hates God. And if we walk hand in hand with the world, what do you think that does to the Lord as a spouse? When we fight and we war, how does that make him feel? Well, it, we, we're told how it makes him feel. The spirit that dwelleth in us, in us lusteth to envy. Meaning he longs for us jealously. He loves us so much that he just wants our faithfulness. And he, he's jealous over us, not in a sinful way, in a, right, in a righteous way. And of all the damage that spiritual adultery does, the worst it wa is what it does to you and God. See, when you apply the world's wisdom to get your way, you destroy your relationships and you provoke God to envy. Here's what it means. You've sided with the enemy. You're living like the enemy. The very ones that say we hate God. And yet God's people are living and acting like the enemy. You've gone home with the wrong spouse. God is envious and he has his own strong desires toward us. The spirit wants a relationship. He wants to be close. He wants us to reflect him and he wants us to be faithful to his wisdom and faithful to his ways. And when we don't, it provokes him uh, like a jealous spouse or a spurned fa um, father maybe. Not, not because he's imbalanced and not because he's angry and not because he just wants revenge and he's mad. No, here's why God is so jealous and the spirit lusteth to envy, has strong desires for his people to be have a relationship with him. Here's why. It's because he loves us so deeply. Because he loves us, God wants our wholehearted commitment and devotion. Because he loves us, Jesus Christ desires for us to be gratefully obedient to him. Because God loved us enough to adopt us into his family, he, he wants our loyalty. When we, when we surrender our war above, here's the thing about this, is that we, we finally make right with God. We surrender ourselves. We surrender in the war above. We make things right with our Father. You know what happens? The war within gets fixed. And the wars without suddenly are resolved. And it all goes back to you and I deciding we will submit ourselves to our Father in every way. 
We will be committed to him and him alone. We will live by his wisdom. We will follow his ways. You see, when people, when, when God's people stop fighting the war above, the wars without and the wars within also stop. Here's the thing, when you're not right with God, that's when you lose the war within. And when you lose the war within and you're at odds with your father, that's when you engage in war with other people. And the reason that we have issues with each other is not because of personality conflicts. The reason we have issues with each other is because we're not right in our relationship with God above. If you want to fix the horizontal relationships, you must first fix your vertical relationship. Then we watch these wars and these battles with each other start to fade. And suddenly there's less criticism. There's less name calling. There's less tension. There's less gossip. There's less picking sides. There's fewer people on one side of the aisle aiming at the other side. The conflicts go away because God's people have submitted to him and stopped fighting the war above. And that war above, when we get right with God and things are right between us and our Father, then we find ourselves right with ourselves and right with each other. I'm just asking you today, wouldn't you rather have peace than conflict? I mean, I would. I mean, some people, man, some, some people hate conflict. They will do anything it takes to avoid conflict. I mean, whatever it takes. I love, my wife is, I love her. She's, she does not like conflict. She does not like tension. And I love to hear her talk about, she's like, yeah, and I just got really upset with the lady behind the counter. And I was like, you know, you know, like this. And really, if we were to go back and watch the CCTV, you know, the closed circuit camera, she was like, oh, that's fine. No problem. I'll just, yes, whatever, that's fine. You know, she doesn't like conflict. And, you know, and sometimes there needs to be conflict or there needs to be a confrontation, right? But I kind of wish that we as God's people were a little bit more averse to confrontation, not because we don't want to help each other with truth or speak the truth in love, but because that's not the way God operates. Fightings and wars among us will tear down the unity and the spirit of a church just like that. And maybe there are times when things need to be said, but but if we love each other, we'll do it in the right way. Would you rather be called the enemy of God or the friend of God? He says, ye adulterers and adulteresses, he said, know ye not that the friendship of the world is is the enemy of God? He said, whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. So you know what that means is that it's possible for long time saved Christians that look the part and say the right words and have all the answers. And we've been doing this a long time. It's possible for us to look like God's friends but actually be his enemy. Because we're not operating according to his wisdom. We're spiritually cheating because we are operating based on the world's wisdom in ways and to look the part but engaging in wars and fightings with each other is to choose rather to be like the enemy than the father. Rodney King said, can't we all get along? Well, without God's help, actually, no, we can't. It's not in our nature to submit. It's not in our nature to be humble. It's not in our nature... Uh, to just 
take a step back and let somebody else have the limelight. That's not in our nature. But we, have, we, we don't just live or operate according to our nature anymore. We've been given the, the, a new nature. We've been made new creatures. And, and uh, if we've been made new creatures, then it's time for us to start operating that way. Listen, I, I'm thankful we don't have a bunch of tension and conflict in our church. I'm not above it to pretend like it never happens. Because it can, we're human. But if you let it linger, it will destroy the unified fiber of Eastside Baptist Church. And the last thing that I would want on my conscience is to know that I contributed to the tearing down of a foundation that was strong at one point. I want to be called a friend of God. I don't want to align with his enemies. Listen, this is what it takes to be a church and people of peace. Is that... You know, when the question gets asked, from whence come fightings and wars among you? We might say, well, I'm not sure where they're coming from, but all I know is I refuse to be the one that contributes to it. Listen, the cause is too great. And the fight, it's not an internal battle. We're fighting things out there. You know, we're not fighting each other. You're not my enemy. I'm not your enemy. The cause is too great. The fight is not inter- internal. And the third truth that, I, that really helps me here is this. God loves us too much and deserves our faithfulness. That's why I refuse. I'm just going to be one, and hopefully you will too, that says I refuse to contribute to the fightings and wars. Again, because the cause is too great. And my enemy is not you. And third, God loves me too much and deserves my faithfulness. That's why I refuse to be one of those that contributes to the fightings and the wars. Let's just decide tonight we're not going to be the person. We're not going to contribute to the crumbling of the foundation, the unity of Eastside Baptist Church. We're going to say, nope, listen, I'm going to submit to God so that I can get rid of the wars within and, and, and the wars without because we've got too much important stuff to do to let this kind of stuff take us down. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to encourage you just to, just to submit yourself to the truth today and you say, well, I'm not contributing to the fightings and wars. I'm, that's not, I'm not having a part in that. Uh, well, but you could at some point in the wrong moment, in a, in a moment of weakness, you could be the one. And if that's the case, why don't maybe just ask the Lord in, in his simple prayer tonight, say, God, help me not to contribute to the fightings and the wars. I want to be faithful to you. You've loved me so much. You deserve much better from me than that. I don't want to be one that contributes to it. And if there's something underlying, maybe, in your heart, remember, the war within is a real big part of this. And you could have a war within going out and nobody else even knows about it. Someday it's going to show up in how you interact with somebody. Why don't you just submit yourself to, to the Father so that he can take care of that war within and we can prevent some of those wars without. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.